another episode of Be The Vessel Podcast. I call myself an intuitive psychologist, and I interview those called to the healing arts with various ways of knowing, serving, and channeling the most powerful medicine for our ultimate return to wholeness. Michael Zykowski is a clairvoyant and teacher specializing in tarot, 13 sign astrology, numerology, and mediumship with additional training as a Reiki master and crystal healer. Michael began seeing and hearing spirit at the age of two, and following that his abilities were further strengthened by deja vu dreams, white light experiences, and a natural sensitivity to the energy of places and people he came in contact with. Michael has studied and trained in astrology, tarot, psychic work, numerology and symbols, religion and the occult, Reiki, hands-on healing, and the use of Lenormand cards. He provides 13 sign astrology services, psychic tarot and medium readings, mentorships and classes. More information can be found on his website at thepracticalmagi.com. I met Michael recently and was impressed by his gifts as well as his unique integration and framework for intuitive wisdom and connection to the divine. May this episode with Michael be an invitation, a gift, and a medicine to align with your unique soul path and to deliver the gifts only you have in store for the world. Hi, Michael. Thanks so much for being here and welcome to the show. Thank you. So uh, we met recently and some of the modalities you use are not not, um, totally new to me. But the integration and the way you deliver it and some of the framework you use is, and I found quite unique. So I'd I'd love to explore that, though. I'd really just love to start with your name. Um, And I may mess up the pronunciation, but but it's the practical Magi that you call yourself. Is that right? Magi, Magi. Magi. Yeah. So where does that come from? I, I hadn't I hadn't heard that that word before. Okay, so if, well, (laughs) appropriate for the season. So if you think of the three magi that visit Christ's child, the magi were associated with the ancient Chaldeans. They were, um, they studied the stars, they studied astronomy, they studied math, spirituality. Probably, we would say Middle Eastern, early mystics would be what we would consider them from anywhere from ancient Babylon over into, you know, the Israel, Syria, Egypt period, that right in that area. Um, and what happened was, is when I finally decided, you know, I don't know if I decided the universe pushed me, probably both, to actually move out on my own um, and do this professionally, I wanted to make sure that I had a name that reflected a lot of my values. Because oftentimes I was coming across through my studies and experiences, people in different spiritual walks of life that seemed to me, they felt ungrounded. They felt like they were too out there. Uh, they were a little misleading, or they were very interested in power control, and that always bothered me. So when I thought about it, I thought, well, the Magi, they're teachers, they're questers, they're mystics, that's good. Um, and I wanted to keep the practical piece in, being that in 13 sign astrology or sidereal astrology, more or less, I'm technically a Taurus, and it makes a lot more sense for my practicality than being a scattered Gemini. I I love how much thought you put into it and it makes a lot of sense. It's like yeah, it makes me think of, you know, our, our similar to our birth name. It it holds 
a lot of weight in how we show up um, to be of service and what we call ourselves. And and I've spoken a lot about this um, on my podcast about the idea that, you know, I, I've wrestled with it personally. You know, I had this, <clears throat> I was given this label um, that I worked for, you know, licensed clinical psychologist, but then you know, that felt like a box that was too confining. And before that, there were plenty of boxes that I didn't like, plenty of labels I received. And um, and I still navigate it. I was, you know, drawn to the word intuitive, which evolved from what I started recognizing in myself, you know, a different source of knowing. And, and first I thought, you know, maybe I'll just go with that. But then, you know, that wasn't all of me. You know, the, the mm -hmm. psychology part is a part two. And so it's, for me, it has been this process of of developing and and finding the right integration. So yeah, it's it sounds like you found uh, the right integration to represent your your values, your core values in how you approach this work. Yes, I would say so. And also, for me, the cognitive piece of it, the study learning as important as the intuitive piece, because, you know, most of us, when we're young, we start out more on the intuitive side. We have the curiosity and we're learning, but even the book piece, the knowledge pieces and how those all factor into whatever that growth process is, I wanted to make sure that that stayed integrated and that I wasn't going just as a learn, just as learning and like learning to read the tarot, but intuiting tarot at the same time, but not also going so far intuitive that it was losing some of the groundedness that people may need as far as a foundation or a base. So wanting to be able to pass that along and knowing that at some point more on, we would say on an intuitive level than anything else. Yeah, no, the integration is so important. And, and from a bit of what I've read of your story, you, you really are um, a strong study. It sounds like you've always been very interested in truly learning about these modalities. And, you know, I'll be honest for me, like once I started stepping into this realm, I was like, I'll great. I'll just, I mean, not literally, but kind of the idea of like, I'll just never read a book again. I'll just be intuitive <laughs> and I won't have to study anything. I'm just done studying yeah. and I'm just going to let things flow through me. <laughs> and I've definitely gotten myself a bit ungrounded and already <laughs> needed a lot of grounding. So it's been a dance, a messy dance. And, and I don't, regretted in the sense that I think these past few years for me were supposed to be messy because it took faith to let go of how tightly wound I was around the thinking, but then ultimately coming back around to balance and like, no, I'm still learning things. I'm still integrating science and, and mm -hmm. um, all of the value that comes from that form of learning. Yeah, I would agree. So one of the, um, one of the ways you approach your work, and it, it sounds like a, a a foundational piece, which I find really interesting because it's the first time I've seen someone work with this framework. Is the is the uh, fairly unique to me framework of astrology that you use, and really just from your website, and, and I'm sure you can you will speak to it uh, more eloquently and in more detail, but you really break down, there's the the tropical or more traditional Western-based system mm -hmm. um, that is, you know, seems to be based more on tradition, link yeah. signs to the seasons on a yearly schedule. Um, I've been most familiar with that and I see 
you know, and most astrologers I've met with and, and most people who just sort of colloquially or, or commonly speak to astrology or their signs are using that. Although as I started to meet people like you and others who use either the Vedic system or, or your system, it has started to resonate with me more. And so there is, I'm not sure if this is how you pronounce it, the, the side reel. Sidereal. Uh, Yes. Yeah. So not at all. The sidereal (laughs) or Vedic system, uh, based on the precision of the equinoxes, and and in that that system, which is the other one I'd been familiar with, um, still uses twelve zodiac signs with Mm -hmm. fixed thirty degree intervals. Uh, But your system is based on the Vedic system, but has a thirteenth zodiac sign, and also I believe has uh, an uneven distribution. Of the interval. So, like the zodiac signs don't last the same amount of days. Correct. So, how did you discover this system? What drew you to it rather than some of the other more uh, common ones? And, and why do you consider it to be the most scientifically accurate? Okay. So, <clears throat> probably goes back. I'll, I'll start way back with my astrological history. We'll say um, post college having computer access. So I had growing up in a family that even though they know about this stuff, kind of were like poo poo, don't listen, don't believe astrology. You know, that's a lot of bunk, blah, 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 blah. But when I was much younger, I started with astronomy, which I always loved, which is tied to mythology, which I always loved. So just so you can understand the progression of archetypes and the way my mind works, it started back that far. Yeah. So what happened was Everybody was giving me a lot of crap for the astrology piece. So I said, all right, I'm going to go on the computer and I'm going to get my astronomy program and I'm going to see. And I went, oh my God, like it's wrong. At the same time, I had purchased my first astrology program for my computer and I was tinkering around with it one day and they had all these different settings and it one said sidereal. I was like, what's that? So I clicked on it and I looked at it. I was like, that matches the astronomy. So now I'm still working with 12 signs because that's basically what everyone has worked with throughout time. Not really paying attention to how things moved on the astronomical plane. I had left that, let that go, but gone more to the sidereal side of astrology and played with it back and forth, Um, you know, testing to say, okay, well, if X planet is in Y sign um, versus Q sign, What's the difference? What resonates more? And for the people I know that I've already done charts for, how does that work? And so the sidereal or Vedic, because they could be interchangeable, um, felt accurate. Then I, and the 13th sign is, I'll say relatively recently within the last 10 or 15 years, I was um, on on a site somewhere and someone must have seen me on the site or whatever, and he contacted me, and he was doing a newsletter and blog with 13 signs. I thought, oh, this is cool. So I got on his email list, and I was getting the emails, but at the time couldn't see them all. So I would like do three or four of them at a time. And he posted this picture of a 13-wheel chart, and I emailed him right. I was like, where did you get this? What's the program? I need it. So I looked at that. And I had already been working with shifting people to sidereal, which is hard for a lot because that's just even the sun sign change of 24 degrees or 24 days backwards. So when I saw this, I thought, well, it makes sense astronomically for the maps that I've taken pictures of of when 
seasons actually start, where the center of the galaxy is, using that as a point. Um, that's where I was like, no, this this makes a lot more sense. And then for me, it was just fine tuning the house system, which there can be a lot of debate about the house system that you use, but uh, that helped me to fine tune it even more to what I utilize today, which would be the 13 sign zodiac of unequal signs, including Ophiuchus, the 13th sign, but with still maintaining 12 houses of life because that's based on time, not just signs. So it's a natural proportion that we would break things into. And then using the Campanus house system that seemed to be better than the traditional Placidius, or I was using the Koch system for a long time, but I kind of stepped away from that as well. So it sounds like you, um, even earlier on, were maybe getting some pressure or pushback to prove your interest in astrology. And, and maybe partly that's why what drove you to be like, okay, I'm going to find the most accurate system and I'm going to show you that this, that there is science behind this. Um, and it, and it emerged out of, you know, an obviously valid, uh, subject of astronomy. So, so my first mm -hmm. question is what, what did you feel astrology when you discovered it gave you that astronomy didn't? I feel that that comes down to because my first real taste of astrology, um, I was probably 13. Um, and so, which I kind of reference in the bio on my website. And it was, it was more like, what are these simple gray books, skinny gray books? They're all the same on the shelf and they all have this bright colored picture on it. What is it? And not really totally understanding or processing but in that quest of who are you so here you are you're 13 years old you're you've entered into puberty um at the time i was i'll still say relatively new to the area where i was living we had moved at the end of my fifth grade year into sixth grade year and so i had a whole new set of people from age 11 to 12 and then 12 into 13 it shifted again and it's just always a challenging period of time and i found that it made a lot of sense at least for me, of coping with change, understanding or seeing who I am, but also who I'm not. It's always been important to me to, whether I'm, I'm reading cards for someone or looking at a chart, it's as important the things that are not valid or the things that are missing as the ones that are valid and are accurate and are there. And so I started, um, you know, that's where I started. Um, math and science, like, by the way, not my forte when I was younger at all. So for me to sit down and when I finally got Parker's astrology out of the library, which was my first astrology Bible, and then trying to figure out the calculations. Oh my God, I, I screwed up those calculations for hours and hours and hours because just math was not my thing and did not have a computer at the time to do it for me. And it just, it just reinforced I'm going to say reinforced the way I felt that the universe had a particular way of speaking to us and magic that was similar to archetype in literature or mythology, the store, all those stories, whether they're religious or spiritual, um, all of that really fascinated me. And so it was like, well, what about my story? And if this is something that has been around for so long, there has to be some validity to it. Can be updated or modernized, which always should be done, or I said it would be best if it was done. Um, but that's 
that's where that's what it brought me to that's beautiful there's this theme of of who am i what can i discover about myself and and you seem to find a home in astrology during obviously a, a pivotal developmental time and the beauty of that strikes me as really uh using this this tool to discover what's within you and then also how to make sense of the world and i can feel the 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 scientific drive and then the intuitive piece which is like well i don't know why i like these books but i do or i don't know why i'm attracted to this 13th sign newsletter but i am and i just have to and i feel like that really seems like the dance that we do it's like you know we have some idea some concepts of why we're exploring what we are and then there is the mystery of just allowing ourselves to be led and and uh not knowing exactly why or, or having all the answers, but uh, uh, sort of allowing that process of discovery to unfold. I find it funny and and um, very common as well when, you know, maybe you don't feel you're as strong in, in math or science, but when you find something intuitive and in, intuitively that pulls you you'll put in the work you'll mm-hmm. you'll get yourself to do and you probably learned you probably strengthened a lot of those skills in exploring this this yeah. deep interest so it probably was a guiding force for you ultimately to develop the tools that uh that you use today and as i was reading your story um there was an uh, just an interesting note about what got you to the library uh, as a kid to spend <laughs> yes. a lot of time, you know, sort of just pulling all these books off the shelves and learning the history. You know, uh, I'll let you tell the story, but a note about sort of the the TV just going out uh, <laughs> it was in the summer and your mother just yes. taking you to the library and being like, all right, this is this is the summer now. It's I don't think it would have lit me up as a kid if my mom just <laughs> dropped me off at the library in the summer, but something sparked you. So I'm just curious, yeah, what that was like <laughs> being dropped off at the library as a kid. Well, it was certainly a family situation. So I have two younger siblings that are six and eight years younger than me. And my youngest sibling was the one running around the old black and white TV, playing with it and hit the magic red button on the back that killed the television for the summer. So we wound up spending a lot more time at the library just as a general rule because my parents were not in a position to buy a new television at that point. You know, three kids, they just made a major move. They're only, what, a a year, two years into a new mortgage and all those things. So, um, yeah, we went to the library, which was fine. And the ironic thing is, is that I was not a particularly strong reader as a child. Reading comprehension if I was tested on it, it was always scary to me. Like, okay, you're going to make me read this and then ask me a bunch of questions. If, and I think this is true with most people, if you have an interest or there's something that really sparks you intuitively or otherwise, you'll go into it wholeheartedly. I also tended to, and I don't know why, just seemed to gravitate towards things that tended to be more nonfiction than fiction earlier on. Um, like I did book reports on volcanoes. I didn't like pick out a fictional book and do a book report on it, you know, that kind of thing. So the, the summer, that summer was spent 
in, I'll say, the early Dewey Decimal System, which is all your occult, your metaphysical. Um, I found books on Egyptian magic. I found books on, you know, histories of religion, um, different spiritualities. And we were bouncing between two libraries because we still had our library card from the previous town we were in, which was just one town over. And then we had the new library as well. So I was able to kind of get the best of both worlds because one collection was much larger than the other. That's how it happened. It, yeah, it, it really drives home the theme of when you are able to, you know, I feel pretty strongly about this for kids and for adults. Uh, yeah, when you are able to discover what lights you up, you will learn mm. all you need to learn. Like, I honestly, I hated school and I, I didn't, uh, I struggled a lot behaviorally and didn't feel like I was very smart. And, uh, you know, it just takes discovering what lights us up to see that mm -hmm. we, you know, we were brought here to this planet with exactly the tools that we need to live the life we were meant to live. So if we just find, you know, that path, we find that spark, come into that alignment. Well, you know, it's, it, it's not necessarily without work ethic, but the motivation and the drive to do it will will be there if there's something pulling us something pulling us forth and there's it. also support you know i i agree with what you're saying and it's i find that <clears throat> as long as we still pursue it we also attract it more you know and people talk about the law of attraction but i will say i was fortunate enough to have certain people that were strong enough in my life that encouraged me or brought me new information you know, like when I had my first past life flashback, I had no idea what had happened to me. And I had a teacher in high school who was able to explain what, what happened to me. Wow. I had a couple of other teachers who encouraged me with the astrology work in high school. I did charts for them and their families. Um, so the right people come along. The book discounted on sale at the flea market that you've been taking out of the library for the past three years, you know, suddenly it becomes part of your possession, your collection. Those little pieces that are so important for strengthening your foundation, your growth, and reminding you that this is something that is part of your life. It's something that, you know, to be in touch with seemed to be really important. Yeah. The universe was conspiring to support you as Absolutely. you, as you Always went does. toward as you went toward these interests. And I do recall on your website, you saying that your mother was earlier on a, a gypsy card fortune teller. Yes. So, so the history, because there is genetics here that's involved with my gifts, we'll call it for lack of a better word. When she was late teens, pretty much, um, she used to read cards, just regular playing cards, which is what they call the gypsy style fortune telling. And she was pretty good at it. Her sister and her cousins, they used to do the Ouija board when they were younger also. Had some very interesting experiences with that as well. As a matter of fact, in my office, I have my my great-grandfather's sister's Ouija board from the late 1800s, basically, early wow, 1900s. They, what, they, I didn't know Ouija boards existed back then. Uh, yeah, so it was made of wood. It's four panels. It was It folded up, and it had leather straps with buckles. And you opened it up and then you put it into a Victorian gaming table from the time period. And that was something that they used and then got lost. And then when my grandmother's sister died and they were cleaning things out, 
my one cousin's mom found it and she's like, well, who wants this? And everyone's like, I don't want that. It's Ouija board. They freaked out. And uh, Joyce said, she goes, I bet Michael want this. So she gave it to my mom. So it stayed, I've never actually used it for work because I'm not a big proponent of Ouija boards. Plus I was more, my psychic development had already way outgrown a Ouija board at that time. Um, but uh, yeah, I took it and I held on to it. And then finally, when things were settled, I actually got it framed and I keep that on my wall in my office. I love that. Yeah. So there were all these instances. Yeah. So there is, there was the ancestral piece and then there mm -hmm. were these opportunities sort of, you know, spirit working through these people around you. I mean, growing up, I'd never, I don't think I'd heard the word astrology. I can't even imagine asking a teacher about these things yet. You had, you know, people in the school system that were, that were supporting you. That just sounds uh, really like a kind of divine intervention to support your path. Yeah. And I want to even add into that, that because I was, I did grow up Roman Catholic and I was very involved in the church. I even was bringing astrology to summer CCD, you know, like <laughs> I was in the art department, but we tinkered around with it even in that point in time, you know, certainly keeping it more on the DL because there were some people there that would not be very happy with that. But uh, yeah. So hearing this, hearing this part of your story, I would have just, you know, had this vision of you just discovering your gifts, knowing exactly what you want to do and having complete, complete clarity and conviction. But, but from what I've read and from what you'd mentioned to me, there were points where you fell into patterns of resistance with it. Is mm -hmm. that right? And attempted to push it away and maybe yeah. um, conform to a different kind of life. Yes. Most of that happened. It was really more my sophomore year of college. I was during the first Gulf War. I was doing a lot with astrology for the school newspaper. I was plotting stuff out and checking stuff. And at that time, I was still using the tropical system. So more based on the tradition that most people who pick up an astrology book are going to know. But there are transits and there are planetary combinations, regardless of, of which one that would certainly denote things that were happening. I had also gotten involved and dabbled with some people that were kind of dabbling in magic at the time. I myself was also in the process of coming out, which was very difficult because I was in a school that was not the easiest to come out with. I was down in the South at the time. So a lot of that kind of pooled itself together that having my own, we'll say, personal emotional crisis and trying to figure out who I was. I stayed with it. And then when I came back to New Jersey to finish out my schooling, I still had it, but I had put it like basically threw a bunch of stuff in the footlocker and said, I got to focus on education right now and working. And it was like, I didn't, I think it was in the footlocker for eight months. And then all of a sudden it's like in a class with somebody. And then I also had because astrology works with archetype and symbols so strongly and my mind just naturally has really good correlative associative principles i was able to take that into basically an english literature degree and i had i had plenty of professors that it's just my my wealth of knowledge and wisdom and i could bring astrology i could bring tarot i could bring numerology i could bring all those things to a class and so it never really fully went away, but I wasn't pursuing it necessarily in the way that I would wanted to, except once I was done with college and sometimes in the summers, 
I really took on a deep pursuit of the tarot um, and studying it for myself more on an intuitive level than necessarily just a cognitive level. And the astrology was woven through that. So it, I never really lost it. But there came a couple of points in time where I was just like fed up. I'm done. I don't need to do this. Pack it away, you know, throw out the cards, ditch the Ouija board, get rid of the books. By the third time, three always happens. Three's the number for everybody, it seems, which I always thought was funny. Third time at this point, I was living at home still with my family, um, sharing a room with my very small room with my brother, very limited, working full time in retail. And I needed something. I needed spiritual community. I needed this stuff to come through. So that's kind of when I got really, I'll say, angry with the universe. And everybody left the house. And after cleansing the house with white candles and sage and salt, I proceeded to stand there and make my demands and say, look, if this is something that is going to be important in my life, if this is something for me to do, then you, universe, divine mind, you need to bring me the people the resources, the time and the space, which means get me out of my family's house, find me a community and give me support. And that was, that was the summer of 96, 1996. And basically shortly thereafter, those pieces just all lined themselves up and brought me into it so that I could pursue that and do that much more in my life. And so when the resistance was showing up, was it some of those practicalities of like, I don't think I can support myself with this? Was it also, you mentioned some of the emotional turmoil and some of those events that were going on for you. Was it an adding up of all these elements that made you feel different? And you also mentioned something about the prediction of mm -hmm. the Gulf War. So what, what exactly were the, the points of resistance that were showing up for you? I would say the, <laughs> the normal sense of responsibility I've had feeling heightened by having information and not having had any, any one person or any group of people as good guidance for myself. So I had no teachers or mentors. I was doing this all on my own for the most part. And the little bit that dropped into my lap here or there, which was fine, but very limited. And so what really was going on is like, okay, so how do I deal with the fact that I just nailed down the dates that the UN was meeting and they were deciding that Baghdad was going to be bombed? You know, how did I come up, you know, why am I doing the charts, the the astrological chart for Iraq, the United States, the UN, you know, and putting all this together and coming out with date time cycles? I mean, honestly, if you looked at my desk that year in college, it would have looked like a mad scientist desk because I mean, I was, I do everything by hand too. I could, I didn't have a computer resource and it just became, and this was a little bit to my mother. She stopped doing cards because as she had told the story to me a few times was that she wound up doing a reading for a very young girl. And in the reading, they basically came out all spades, which in very traditional Romany fashion was basically like the kiss of death, which I came to find out later actually is not. Uh, it's actually the opposite because there's so many, the energies balance differently. But my mom decided she couldn't, she was not going to read anymore. She didn't want that responsibility. And she totally closed it all down, except for the little bit of board and seance that she was doing into her 20s, even after I was born. And then that all stopped as well. Um, and it was that responsibility that made me say, 
I don't know, can I handle this? You know, am, am I going to be, am I good enough at this? You know, do I have what it takes and do I have the time? Because here I am, I'm working a full-time job and going to school for you no know, part-time job. I'm going to school and then full-time job, trying to pay off loans, get a car, get out of my house. So it wasn't, I didn't have the space to pursue it in a way of a career. And I had pretty much, I'll say, resigned myself to, I needed to deal with the material stuff to figure out how to get more towards the spiritual, because if it was going to be there, it was going to be there. And if it wasn't, it wasn't. Even my own experiences, which I do not share in my bio, my one of my very more profound spiritual experiences was a Holy Spirit experience during a retreat during confirmation. And that shifted my sense of, you know, yeah, is there something else out there? Absolutely. I knew ghosts, I knew spirits, I had visitations when I was younger, but to have that kind of profound experience brought me through a lot of that, knowing that I have to kind of guide the intent of what I want but I wasn't at those times ready to take that responsibility. And when I did, before I moved out, I had found a group and I, I excelled very quickly and I was doing readings for their psychic fair. And I only been, you know, with this organization for two or three months and in very classic form, I came, I was home eating dinner with my family because I was still living there. And said, oh, yeah, well, I'm doing a psychic fair, blah, 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 blah. And first thing out of my parents' mouths, why are you doing that? You can't do that. And it was my mother specifically saying, who do you think you are that you can tell people what to do with their lives? Those were her words. And I looked at her. She goes, you're not a psychologist or a therapist. And my dad was like, yeah, you didn't. You don't have a degree in this. Okay, so going to all those traditional factors at which point I just kind of calmly sat there and I looked at them and I said, well, I have been to at least four psychologists in my life. I said, and most of them were more interested in what I knew about astrology and colors and symbology and dreams than they were interested in helping me out. So I would say, I think I'm probably more qualified to read cards for people than, you know, they were to actually be a psychologist, you know? And that's, that's when it dropped for me that, yes, I will, I will do this at least part-time until, you know, the universe brought it around again to, <laughs> to put me into it full-time for myself. There's so many parts of that that resonate with me. Firstly, just the, yeah, the piece about getting that pushback about who are you to be stepping into this kind of work, to be giving this kind of guidance. You know, for me, I went through all of the psychology training. Yes, I got did. <laughs> the degree and Part of that was still fueled by this, you know, piece of insecurity in me about being good enough, about being valid. And and I believe in part probably taken on from my family system and from society at large, which values these things. And it's like, if you want to, you know, be in the healing arts, this is how you have to do it. But when I chose to step outside of it, you know, I, you know, it, 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 I just naturally got pushed back because people didn't understand. I mean, I was telling people at my clinic, uh, you know, uh, my supervisor, you know, about <laughs> spirit guides, like they, they, were, <laughs> they were never going to understand. That was never going to be, I, I had to go through, you know, on some level, I believe my soul asked to experience these kinds of pushback so that I would have the courage to leap 
my parents didn't really understand. And although, although they did uh, ultimately support me, I didn't really understand because I wasn't clear. And, mm -hmm. but something was pulling me and that same piece around who are you, you know, to be doing this kind of thing, to be calling yourself intuitive, to be, and I wrestled with that because my own, my own ego, my own thinking mind would get triggered. And because mm -hmm. I, I don't know, I don't know who I am to be doing this, but it feels aligned. Something is pulling me forth. And it sounds like those were invitations for you too to be like without clear mentors, but still being guided back. And then even when challenged to say, no, it, it's pretty clear. This is, this is my path that I, I have, whether we call them gifts or capacities or just, this is the life path that's meant to unfold. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, I think about that line from Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility. Like Absolutely. it sounds like you got, you got a little freaked out <laughs> at first by, by well, your own powers, what was coming forth. And, and it's interesting because it yeah. sounds like naturally as a kid, which is, which I think is how kids, you know, I think that's a wonderful development just to be led and to go where you're excited to go. And then naturally you came up against where you were led and like, oh, this is actually like reflecting back on what you've been doing. Like I'm handwriting mm -hmm. all these charts and oh my God, is this really me? Is this really what I'm meant for? But when you set the intention, we were talking just a minute about intentions before we started recording, when you set the intention and we're like, okay, I'm ready. It just like, oh, faster than you can. But, you know, there's one thing to put intention and there's one thing to put heartfelt intention. There, there has to be, there has to be an emotional connection. There has to be great feeling around it for it to really stick because more, and I will say this more reflectively, it's like that door has always been open. You just thought there was a screen across it. You know, like you don't, you, you have to say, I'm re I'm ready to say, I'm going to pull that veil across. I'm going to live that truth. I'm going to walk through that next doorway to move into that next section. Yeah. At that point, it was like, I often say, you know, you can't make this shit up. It mm -hmm. lines itself up. It really does. And that was, that was the point where everything then started to fall in to a different kind of pace for me, which was really quite nice. It certainly feels like it's one thing to sort of say intentions and, you know, and, and practice in the cycles of the moon or whatever, and asking for abundance or whatever it is you're asking for, but with a more sort of embodied awareness of like readiness of yes. like, it's one thing to ask, but it's another thing to be ready. Mm -hmm. uh, that feels like it brings a different energetic force. Yes. Uh, to to what you're really willing to step into and and open up to. Yes, I would agree. Which comes with layers of fear naturally as <laughs> as I think is is part of the the leaping process. It certainly has been for me at least. So, you mentioned uh that yeah, you had some early like very early sounds like as as young as like two years old mm -hmm. visions and recognitions of spirit and i mean what was that how what what is your recollection of that from age two so my recollection is more i will say more about just feeling but not remembering because being too young 
But the first house we lived in was haunted. And it was a male spirit that I was seeing pretty regularly and describing. My family was aware of it. He was The spirit was not particularly kind towards my mother. He was a little aggressive. But the the sense or the feeling of the, the space itself, I do remember. And then when we moved from there, the next space also having, which was a little bit more, both of them were isolated. One was in the middle of a cow pasture. The other one was on an orchard. It was more those awareness, but just that instinct of knowing who you like and you don't like, knowing a place to go or not go, you know, which Santa Claus at the mall you really want to sit on their lap or not, you know, that kind of thing, (laughs) which I think is a terrifying thing for any child, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, and, and it sounds like what, and because th- this is something I talk about a lot when I talk about cultivating intuition, it sounds like what was developing from a very early age was that sort of energetic compass or like, or like level of discernment. Like you could just mm-hmm. feel what felt right and what didn't. And you didn't yes. necessarily know it wasn't, it wasn't based on conceptual knowledge or mm-hmm. thinking it was based on a different source of knowing. Yes. And I would say probably then from easily from age five or six forward, my dream, my dream life was always extremely vivid, rich, real, constant. I mean, I'm fully aware of how the brain can use utilize dream time to process, but it seemed for me that it was full color. I mean, it was it was pretty rich, and that was also part of that development. Like I talk about having white light dreams, which are basically crossing over to the other side, where it is searing white light because you're not crossed over. You're in that bright light zone that a lot of people talk about when they have near-death experiences. And people talking to me, knowing that the light is so bright that it feels like it's burning my eyes, like my eyes are tearing and waking up with tear stains. Like those kind of experiences happen from about age six on with then also the intuitive ratcheting itself up of who I like and don't like as a survival mode more than anything going into my preteen to early teens and certainly then through into my 20s. Yeah, because we all do it. We're all wired to scan. All of our brains are wired to scan for danger or threat from a survival Mm -hmm. perspective. But then I think the qualitative shift is to either continue doing it from that survival fear-based place or do it from uh, excitement or joy or just what feels aligned what what feels because i think if we if we stay in the survival based mode then we're just always scanning for what's a threat it's it's more of just that primal threat detection system which doesn't really allow for the discernment process of what's actually in highest alignment where we would like to go what you know what what sort of higher vision we would like for our lives and it sounds like you were just being shown. You were just being shown mm-hmm. what was possible for you. Were and did you feel comfortable sharing any of this material, like your dreams, or did it, did it mostly stay within you? Um, a lot of it would stay within me. I don't remember how much I would share because um, I feel like my family is kind of like, oh, it's just a dream. You were influenced by a movie you watched, or you've got a great imagination. Those those experiences. 
it was it was a particular sentience or sensuality reality that was happening a physicality almost in the dream state that was probably what was my this is different from just having a dream about my day you know and and then also having a um, some very profound deja vu experiences so that it was like okay i dreamed it and then it happens that also altered my okay there's something more here that sure i'm 10 years older than this is happening to me but it also says no this this is something that does happen and i can allow that into my life i don't want it all the time obviously but it's something that needs to be acknowledged as part of that intuitive faculty yeah and that sort of sounds like that was the coming of age process of going from these things happening to you to at some point you making an intentional decision of, of mm -hmm. how you want this to be channeled speaking to universe about i'm ready to embody this and and and, and channel it into something that that serves me and others mm -hmm. yes you you mentioned a pivotal a pivotal experience with the holy spirit would you would you mind sharing a little bit about what was like qualitatively different about that experience than what oh, you had been experiencing because i was awake um <laughs> i wasn't asleep so i'm basically i'm i'm at a rec center our local rec center our church was still meeting in um school gymnasium they were a young church and as part of the confirmation process, which is two years, so after eighth grade, two years of that, you do the classwork. And then at the end of everything, they do two retreats to kind of solidify that you're confirming your allegiance with the church. And I will purposely say it that way. So I had been, I had very strong feelings of, of spiritual connection not necessarily always sure it was religious that was always a borderline piece for me but we're at this rec center we uh this young group that would go around the country uh doing these retreats for different confirmation groups had been brought in and after we had gone through all the classwork parts we did like a mini a mini mass and we spread out all over this rec center and there were uh, the leader of our group was, would go around to each one and then we would sit and pray, you know, for something specific or whatever. And I was sitting there and the gentleman who was our, our leader came over, he knelt down next to me, he put his hand on my shoulder and said, okay, so what do you want to pray for? And I said, well, I want to pray for um, peace in the world. I want to pray for healing. I want to pray for the environment. You know, I, I was very global. It was big, important things to me. And he says to me, he said, he says, well, what do you want for yourself? And I looked at him and I cocked my eyebrow, which I do often and, uh, said, if I'm praying for that, for everyone else, that includes me. Right. And it was like, he was expecting me to be very, I, me about these prayers rather than be bigger. So he said, okay. So we sat and I started really intently focusing on the prayer. And all of a sudden it was like somebody had poked a bunch of holes in me, like Swiss cheese or a sieve. And it was like wind just, I thought somebody had turned a fan on on the other side of the room because there were these big metal fans. 
And I, I opened my eyes and I'm looking around like, what is going on? Because I could feel this. And it was literally going through me from front to back and out the back. I had no idea what happened. And there was a great sense of, of feeling light, uh, like a, a buoyancy. It, it was just very profound. Uh, I will say in an awe-inspiring way, but also take your breath away at the same time. So we finished what we did with this retreat. I said nothing because I'm like, everybody's going to think I'm crazy, which is a common thing we all go through when you're psychic intuitive through your life. Even later on, sometimes I still think I'm crazy, but my eighth grade CCD teacher was the one who was driving me home because we were doing carpool and I lived all the way over on the other side of town. So once she had dropped off the three other kids, she had asked me, so, you know, what happened? Did anything happen during the retreat? Because she knew me to be very spiritual, not religious. And I said, yeah, I had this experience. And she goes, that's a Holy Spirit experience. Like what happened in, to the apostles, et cetera, et cetera. I was like, oh, okay. And then I did, you know, a little read up on it because that's my nature. And was like, okay, this is kind of what this is. Not sure what to do with it. The only challenge was is that I couldn't really talk about it. And then people in the church who we would say don't approve of that thing or maybe a little jealous caught wind of it. So shortly after my confirmation and things are going on, it's kind of like our family got kind of cold shouldered at the church. It was not a pleasant experience. And then also at the same time, I had taken a world civ course and learned more about the structure and sociopolitical machinations of the church. And at that point I put my big stamp of Nope, done with this. <laughs> no, anything, anything that's putting money on its altar no, I'm not doing it anymore. So that was kind of the Holy Spirit, like actually brought me into my greater spirituality. And I feel like almost in some ways cleansed me of the dogma piece and brought the information I needed to be able to stay spiritual without getting lost in, in the dogma or the tribalism of religion. Yeah. So it sounds like you were able to let go of some of what some of the limitations that that more traditional frame of religion had placed yes. on you so you could expand into the larger realm of spirituality. Though I'm curious because to me, whole, I don't know much about that idea. I mean, I've heard Holy Spirit. It still sounds like that word is embedded with Christian mythology. How do you understand what that what and like when that woman mentioned it to you like like mm -hmm. what did she mean by that this was a holy spirit experience and how do you understand it now is it still connected to christian ideology or is it something different i would say based on my experience thereafter it would have been when any person i'll say it's as though you surrender yourself enough to so not be your ego that you allow pure spirit to fill you your your it's it's odd because there's certainly what feels feels like and i'm almost putting that in air quotes feels like an external but is also very internal at the same time mm -hmm. so to me it was more like a communion of spirit or a communion of energy i will say it felt i'm going to use the word blessing because it felt like something special but it felt like something to say, be aware, like be awake or be aware. It didn't feel like, okay, now you were anointed in the Catholic church and Christianity, and now you have to take this path. 
it it didn't have a religious feel to it, which I was very thankful for because it's a feeling that I have had two other times, three other three other times in my life, once very profoundly, um, the other two were very minor, but I I could feel that essence and I was like, no, there's it's it's in the core, it's in the body. I mean, even if we talk the chakric system, I mean, you feel that in in your belly, you feel it from almost your navel through your heart. Like it's it's so central and then kind of floods your whole system. Not like a kundalini rising from the root and moving up, but it's more, it's like a universal breath almost. Best way, unless you experience it's hard to, it's got this effervescence. It's effervescent. It's your, because I remember when I say it felt light, you do, you feel lighter, but there was also like you were, like you were ingesting or inhaling light at the same time. I remember the, it happened so fast, but it was such a mix of, not what you would predict energy and certainly not what you would predict in the Bible, because in the Bible, all the apostles that were anointed with the Holy spirit, it was a, a, a flame. It was symbolized by a flame and anointing on their heads and in their hearts. And this was not, this was certainly not that for me. I appreciate you doing your best to put something into words that is ultimately indescribable, <laughs> um, but sounds, yeah, on one level, like being, recognizing your spirit nature and being aligned mm -hmm. in a truly embodied and experiential way with the divine, not bound by any religious ideology, but, but the yes. source of, of all. And I've certainly had um, some experiences over the past few years that I have had a challenging time explaining and I'm not even really sure I could differentiate what feels moral what feels more simply like the energetic chakra system because that learning about energy medicine that has been a part of my own development and being able to put language to what I've experienced though it has though I do feel I've had particularly also uh, with the use of plant medicines, um, mm -hmm. and particularly psilocybin, having felt something that was uh, even greater uh, and more expan, I, I more expansive is what I was going to say. But I, I forget exactly how you worded it, but just, but something about knowing that there was a source of energy that was not your own, that was of a greater source, that was filling you up, that. Um, that resonates with me as something yeah. to and be able to feel into. And there's there's a connectivity of, how can I say this? Yeah, there's a connectivity of being at one with, and there's no persona involved. Like the, and I, I don't ditch the ego, I don't, you know, diss the ego at all. We need it so we don't get killed by lions or something. But, you know, it's, <laughs> I, there there was a connection and also a disconnection that was happening simultaneously. And I think that's somewhat of the beauty of it. And I imagine other people who have had extremely strong or profound mystical or meditative experiences probably along the same lines where it's you're not your body, but your body's there, but your energy and you're connected to a, a greater energy but you don't have a persona, you don't have a 
you don't have a definition. You just have almost this existentialist is, and it's, it's very pure. Yeah. And that resonates with me because on my journey, I started hearing spirit guides and, and connecting to uh, sources of knowing, but I was gently or, or sometimes not so gently <laughs> um, reprimanded for by, you know, others who were ultimately wanting to support me in like, you need to, you need to know who's communicating with you. There's light, there's dark. And I was like, yeah. I don't fucking know. I mean, <laughs> I'm just, I felt like, you know, you as the kid being guided, I was like, I'm just, I, I'm just listening. And, so... <laughs> you know, and my, my ego would get in the way of being like, nope, I'm being guided. So I don't care where it's coming. I, you know, mm. but <laughs> yeah, funny. I, I don't know. I'm still learning. I can sense that there are pers the, this idea of personas or there is some individuality to certain mm -hmm. voices. Yes. They feel, I, I can feel them locationally mm -hmm. and some seem more aligned with maybe uh, more reactive or ego-based parts of me and some just feel more divine, gentle and of just like a higher frequency. But yeah, there are plenty of times where I'm just super confused and, and it feels too it feels too much to me sometimes like an intellectual game to try to mm. be sussing out like, well, who are you and where? And so sometimes mm. I, I dance with, you know, wanting to be cautious, I guess, is the word or intentional and at other times just wanting to surrender because I feel like so much of my life had been this perfectionistic sort of compulsive thinking and and not mm -hmm. wanting that to cloud how I'm practicing this intuitive development. So to your experience, once, so I had moved out and I found a group of people to reinforce study my intuition, like that way everything could open up a lot better. It was very clear for me to set boundary with spirit very early. And I made it very clear. I'll stretch this a little bit with going with the strong associations with Archangel Michael specifically. Part of its namesake, part of it, I just don't know where it comes from. It just feels innate. But uh, it was very clear that only things that are going to be for my highest good or another person is going to come through. Periods at the end. I was very much about no dark energies. I am aware that they're there. I have had experiences with them, but I, I'm not giving them power. I refuse to, for my power to be used for their power. And I made it very clear in the beginning to set that hard line of I'm the body, I'm the corporal being, I'm the one that's bringing this through and it will not be tampered with. I will not be tampered with. And I demanded that. And that's the word I use. I demanded it. You know, my home my office, my space. If I move, I go into a new space, I clear it. And it's like, this is my temple. This is my sacred space. And so anything that is not of that, it's not welcome ever. Yeah. And I've definitely been demanding. I've been demanding. I'm sometimes Good. I'm like, how many times do I need to, like, how many times do I, will you guys just get the message? But <laughs> Michael is someone who I've heard from. And I always felt that that was a very trustworthy source. Like it just felt... It's 
it just felt like, all right, you got me. You got my back. I don't have to worry <laughs> about you or the information that you're delivering. Um, it just always felt aligned. Though something I guess that I wonder about is like, do you feel as you or as as we begin to heal our trauma conditioning and loosen more attachment to the ego and sort of just expand our vibration, our vibrational frequency that clearly the in intention setting and the demands are important in that level of communication. But do you also feel that naturally as the frequency, the vibrational frequency within us raises that we're simply not available for lower frequency energies or is that it, it always must be stated? I think it's a both and. I don't think it's an either or. I would say as we grow, you know, we're used to we're used to hierarchical thinking systems. So our frequency is more about expansion than it is about rising. So we I and I found that especially in the metaphysical community, um this ratcheting up constantly is no different than going up every single plane of angels for a thousand planes, you know. We have to think of ourselves in the round. We live on a ball. Well, at least most mm. people leave, we live on a ball. So we have to <laughs> we have to think of ourselves as round. And so that round, even associated with the the Taurus T O R U S, this energy around our heart and the fact that our heart is electromagnetic, is about that expansion. Yes, as we increase frequency for expansion, yes, those things certainly easily move at bay a lot more. Um, I've just, I've found that at least with many of my clients and their kids, our teenage years are usually where we're the most, or I would say adolescent years are the most vulnerable for us because there's so much chemistry and rewiring and whatnot. And that's where most people are more taken advantage of and, and go off the path or shut down entirely. But the, the expansion piece, yeah, it, it certainly does keep it out of the way but you know you also keep in mind if i'm gonna be walking into a place where there's been a lot of darkness wherever that is whether there's been a lot of death whether there's been a lot of sorrow a lot of heavy heaviness it's being mindful of i might be here i might be carrying a different vibration i can be open to if something wants healing or wants to be known but i'm not going to entertain something taking advantage of me either. I had never heard the description used, which I like that expansion is about outward in all directions rather than this sort of hierarchical rising, which I think, yeah, I have been susceptible Most to of thinking are. about. And, and so it's not necessarily that you ever get to a place of immunity from, we could even just say ego, let alone other energies mm -hmm. that are not in your and highest and best. That's kind of what feeds into, you know, going back to you asking about the name, the practical magi. It's I, and I think part of it also had to deal with, you know, going through my coming out process and the things that happened there, which is post the Holy spirit experience, we'll call it was I incarnated in some container in some way for a particular reason and utilizing those energies and how, how I discern them and work with them is part of my process and whatever the divine is or the universal is, is always there to be tapped into. But I still, I'm the one that's having this corporal experience that can be quote heavy 
and to be mindful of that so I I also can enjoy my time here rather than look at it as, you know, uh, a big travesty or a challenge. Um, I think maybe I was kind of blessed very early on with feeling that for all the incarnations I've had, an incarnation is a time to play in the sandbox. This is play a different role, be a different character. You could be good, you can be bad, you could be male, you could be female, you could be high up on the ranks, you could be a pauper. And taking advantage of, okay, so what does this lifetime have in it for you? What what have you kind of set into motion? And embracing that, but then being able to expand is is part of what I feel us as spiritual beings having these human experiences is about and not neglecting one or the other but being able to integrate both of them to me is crucially important for a sense of growth or satisfaction you know within this lifetime yeah and i feel like that's a lesson i'm continuing to dance with because i can be pretty stubborn i don't really like to be told what to do i haven't always had the best <laughs> relationship with authorities though i'm i'm learning that to become authority in myself i must respect mm -hmm. other authorities and yet it's this dance for me of yeah so so it's, this is my journey you know i won't be in, imposed on and yet there is this the other side of that same coin is still the the wound of that is like well how about how do i be good how do i be good so when i surrendered when I, you know, at least on one level was giving up the people-pleasing dynamic with others in my life, I was sort of replacing it with what I consider to be a higher authority, to be spirit, mm -hmm. to be the guides. And yet that started in some insidious way to play out this dynamic of, well, I'll just do whatever you guys say. Mm -hmm. I'll just completely surrender nope. and be a servant <laughs> to spirit. And then I could see, oh, I'm getting myself into trouble. I, my nervous <laughs> system isn't, you know, am I, and there was the part of me because I can push myself pretty hard. I was like, well, that's just what it takes. It's just, I'm being guided mm -hmm. into circumstances that are supposed to be scary and messy. And clearly I chose that because they were, and maybe <laughs> I needed to have those experiences, but learning that I can come more into harmony and balance with this body mind, you know, that yes. I am ultimately the one having this experience and that this outer guidance um, doesn't necessarily know always what's best for me to have the most expansive life I want to have here. Yes, I would agree. And, you know, woven into all that societally and whatnot, which is very common to talk about these days is most of it is patriarchal authoritarian type of, of dynamic. And it's woven into a lot of the stories and mythologies and everything that are there. So there is the the I need to please, I need to defer to something higher up. Yeah. And thereby creating the imbalance of, well, a human might be you might be the king of England, but you're still a human like me and you need to eat food and go to the bathroom and breathe air. And even if you're a top guru, I mean, I've been in the presence of Ama um from India. And to me, it's like seeing an old friend. It's like it's spirit to spirit. It's not that that hierarchical place that we need to to be in, but is so ingrained in our societies. Yeah, and and whether it's guru or royalty and how we see them on earth, the same applies for like physical and non-physical. Just because Correct. they're non-physical beings doesn't mean they're necessarily of. And that's something that, you know, when a lot of people ask me, because I do a lot of work with 
angels and archangels. I've ascended masters. I mean, I've, I've sat in circle with channeling circles with these entities. I'll call them coming in. It's all level playing fields. You know, we might put on the spin for whatever reason we need for our egos or the institution may put the spin on in the hierarchies and the power structures. But basically, if you want to sit down at a cafe in Paris and have, you know, lunch with St. Germain, Mother Mary and Yogananda, do it. There's no there isn't that boundary that first our enculturation likes to put in there. Yeah, if we can truly remember that we are whole and we are a, we are as much a part of this divine plan yes. as what we call angels and archangels and everything exactly. else. Exactly. And we remember our worth uh yes. in this in this game. I'm definitely continuing continuing to navigate that. I think because I also you know, I was surrendering so much and then kept getting the question posed to me. It's like, well, what do you want? And I was like, well, what do you mean? I'll just do, it's like whatever, there, you know, there's a higher plan for me. So I'll just do whatever that is. But that <laughs> clearly wasn't good enough. I had to, I had to, and it was actually a little bit of a challenge because I had left so much behind. I was just like, okay, I cleared my plate. So whatever's meant to come through and it's like, oh, it's me that's actually painting the canvas now. All right, I gotta, so I gotta figure out what I want. And that's taken some time. Yes. And that's in just as to go back to my story, that is throw out all the tarot cards and then give away the books and, and whatnot, because got to give it over to something else or, you know, that that was part of the, within that story was, OK, letting it all go because I couldn't and you having a similar experience. And I I feel that that's actually an important experience because it reminds us that this is this is a co-creative place yeah. this isn't uh only you or only it or only they or only we do it and and that co-creation to me is extremely important yeah that's that i i totally agree i think i i personally really needed to go through the process of feeling like because for me in order to really start to let go of the compulsivity of my thinking mind which had ruled most of my life i chose to have this experience where i will throw everything i will surrender completely <laughs> um almost just to see that i could do it to see mm -hmm. that i could let go and then get bopped around a few times and upset some people and be like okay all right i'll start being more intentional again but i just wanted to see that i could do it <laughs> i wanted because i didn't know any other way to really let go of other people's expectations other okay. than or my own to really just say, okay, I'm just going to follow guidance. I'm not even going to uh, question it really. <laughs> and, uh, so what kind of, what kind of latte does spirit want you to drink? <laughs> I, seriously, seriously, that, that really is, no, I, I mean, I, I everything, everything. And it's, yeah, it, I, it led to some periods of craziness and, and still, I'm still, because there is this this checking in process that has developed within me that is like literally everything I do, I'm working that out, finding ask, finding finding a place of ease and flow with it. Go ahead. Let me ask you a question. Did you have a sense as you were doing that of, I don't want to say feeling lost, but certainly a particular frustration or did it bring up particular angers that were in there that were unexpected? Because sometimes when we over-surrender, we go into something called empty vessel syndrome and it it's, we think we've done something good 
by doing this surrender process, but we've cleared so much out, but we haven't refilled. We, we aren't sustaining ourselves. And that's usually when the universe knocks us around. So we have to get a little bit more human to be like, oh yeah, right. Yeah. I, I you know, I don't like chocolate chip mint ice cream. I much prefer coffee ice cream, you know, <laughs> that kind of I, thing. I, I think that's precisely what, what had happened for yeah. me, honestly. And, but because, you know, cause I was sick for so long and I was healing for the first time in my life, I was healing mm -hmm. so much that I was like, well, this is clearly, you know, how it's supposed to be, but I was very, uh, but I was confused and I, I went through yeah. deep periods That's... of confusion and feeling lost because at times I wasn't mm. hearing it clearly and I'd be in the, and still I go to Trader Joe's and I'm like, what does spirit want me to eat? Like, I honestly still been doing that and I'm just coming, <laughs> it, it, it's almost like the compulsive parts of my brain had attached to this kind of checking in process where it's like, I won't okay. get away from what is aligned, but clearly what is aligned is in, in some, not all up to me, but in, in some part up to me. And I could start taking more ownership of that to create more ease and flow in my life and, and fill up the vessel with my humanness and not, um, yeah, not, not surrender it all away because it, yeah, in some ways I would get frustrated because there there likely wasn't supposed to be a right answer to what there garbage isn't. can I need to have, you know, but nope. I was so <laughs> intense about it <laughs> that I needed to come back around to some balance. That makes sense. So, yeah, this is this has been really lovely, Michael. I know where... Um, Coming to the end of our the, the the natural time I usually afford to to these um conversations the but the, the one last thing I wanted to ask you about was because just like you said you were you know you were discovering what you wanted and yet you know just from your sight and from what you've expressed there's so much that you do astrology tarot psychic work numerology symbols. Reiki, mediumship, crystal healing, there's lots more, I'm sure. So did that just come from your own excitement and desire? How did, how did, because, because on another level, I am still, you know, I've been having these experiences, but I still feel I'm being led to continue discovering where is my mastery and, and what, mm -hmm. what gifts I'm really meant to offer because I do get a little confused about that. So was that just a process of that sort of energetic compass and discernment or did you, did they just show up into your lives, the, into your life, these different aspects of, of how you serve? In retrospect, it was having little tastes and hearing stories of these things and then astrology well, the intuitive piece obviously being the go-through of everything, but the um, astrology being the first, we'll say, more cognitive principle. And then just from there, the nat for me, the natural progression was being empath empathic, intuitive as a child, going to the astrology, rolling into tarot, and probably mythology goes before that actually technically, going into tarot, numerology all fit in there at the same time. The Reiki crystal healing was certainly later. I was certainly aware of it 
um, the, the one group I participated in, you know, we did a lot of healing. We had a weekly healing circle and things like that. And the mediumship was just a, a different extension of the intuitive. So if you're naturally empathic, sensitive, go to intuitive, go more psychic, go mediumship, then all your clair senses, you know, kind of filter in there, whether it's smell, taste, sight, feel, and then going over kind of more to direct channel where you're just bringing the energy through it. That's kind of how it all worked on the intuitive piece. It was the right people's the right time, a natural movement. The other principles or practices seemed to feed one another and they weren't, it wasn't as though I was mastering all of one thing or, or over a period of time, like numerology has dipped in and out of my life a bunch and is way stronger now than it was, we'll say 20 years ago. The Lenormand deck that I've been using more recently, that is really a recent five, six year, five, five year process. Just another extension of the intuitive process. And that's a unique form of tarot. Is that? It's not even tarot. It's, 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 it was technically a card game like the tarot was actually originally. Um, but it's, um, smaller cards. It's only 36, but you use it in the same kind of predictive fashion. It's a little bit more grounded. It's not quite as mystical as the tarot can be. I find it to be, I, I almost like gave up the tarot and thought, oh, this is my new thing. I'm going to do this, but not enough people know it. So it's hard to transfer people to it. But I find it to be a little bit more of a practical everyday guidance um, in a way that takes off the mystical edge. Yeah. Well, and when, when I had my session with you, it did feel very, the guidance was very practical. But what you say also really resonates with me about because that's how it has felt to me, which is that the intu cultivating the intuitive wisdom is the foundation of it because, because, and you know, maybe I've gone a little bit overboard, but it's the process of ch using the intuition to discern where to go and what to explore. And, uh, you know, maybe I've just needed to be a little more free and allow myself to explore everything, but it does feel that regardless of what gifts come through, whether it's working with energy or sort of ancestral lineages mm -hmm. or, or whatever it is, it, there's, there is, there's that root capacity, that opening of the intuitive channel, um, yes. which allows for the different flavors and colors of that channeling to come through, you know, and there was, a, you know, I was interested in a little bit of people who are just sort of those pure nth degree channels and i was like well maybe i'm meant to be that i don't think that's necessarily <laughs> meant to be that i think that is some subconscious or desire to just let it all go and not have to decide and just be taken <laughs> over but that's probably not not for me but on a, but on a spectrum of channeling just continuing yes. to strengthen that and that's really important to keep in mind spectrum keep in keep in mind you have your own lexicon your own language you have your own symbology you have certain things that maybe, yeah, you could study universality of, of certain signs and symbols and colors, but certain things will speak to you in a particular way, like when I do mediumship, or it may mean something more important for the person that you're giving that message to. And the ability to move your, move your cognitive brain enough to the side, or I'll say kind of the egoic brain to the side, so you have no attachment. Like, and I tell people, when I do a reading, 
Michael is here. I don't exist. I don't. Because if I exist within the reading, other than if I briefly like give an anecdote or something, then I am not being, in my estimation of things for where I look at it, I'm not being as pure, as clear of a channel as I could be. And so moving yourself out of the way and allowing the energy, and I think that's part of what the Holy Spirit experience I had allowed me to know is that I could shift out of, something could shift me away without me losing myself, because that's the big thing, the fear of losing oneself, that you can do that and then be that pure message bearer, that channel, that, you know, into it for others and sometimes for ourselves. It's harder with ourselves because we're usually there, but, and that takes, I will say just like anything that takes practice, it takes refinement. It takes experience because as we mentioned earlier, it is a frequency and you are increasing your frequency. You're making your body go faster to hold that energy and hold that clarity. And that has to be respected. Yeah. And that really is what this past couple of years has been about for me, which is wanting to clear myself out of the way because when I have the opportunities to show up in workshops or with clients, I notice that it is an invitation to practice seeing where the resistance and the fears and doubts show up. And that's usually when I get stuck or I get embarrassed or I want to hold something back. And yet at the same time, not going over the edge and losing myself and recognizing yes. that I'm part of this. I am mm -hmm. part of this, even though I'm wanting to clear out the fears and doubts. And I will say being brave enough to say, I, I am little, I am, I am it. And I am of it. And being able to have some human own ownership of it without it being ego control based because you are experiencing it. You are, you, you as your human is experiencing as much as your spirit is. And that, that's an important concept to work with and does take some time to adjust to. And you're going to have your days just like I do, where you think you just told people a bunch of crap and that you're, the imposter syndrome comes in and then you write yourself because the universe will then tell you, bring you five people who tell you how wonderful you are and you're doing a good job. So look, look for the backup from, from the other humans. You know, that's an important thing. That is the dance. Um, well, this has been um, really wonderful conversation, Michael, for, for me personally, honestly, and, and hopefully for, for everyone who is ready to receive its wisdom. The last thing I'll say is, where can people find you if you'd like them to? Best way to reach me is email me through my website. Because I do so much virtual session, phone and otherwise, it's easier to keep a paper trail through email. That is the best way to find me. I don't, my, I haven't been able to keep up the technology piece of my business for various reasons. That's part of dedication to self going into 2023 to make that different because it's time. I knew it would be time, but I was trying to coast through <laughs> the year of not having to apply it. Um, but it is here. It's now. That would be the best way until I sign up for Instagram and have that going until I see if I really want to maintain the Facebook page or more importantly, keep up with blog and information on my website that's more current because there's so much that will be taking place astrologically for our country and there's important transits of things coming through that I would like to make sure I share. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, and I'll put, I'll be sure to put your website in the show notes. And then, yeah, is there anything else you'd like to share about 
globally or 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 anything uh at all as we as we wrap up here um no i just would say thank you so much it has been totally delightful i love having conversations like this and you know i hope that whoever listens you know they hear what is best for them to hear that they they hear their they hear their message and that they listen multiple times because you know who knows maybe five months later they'll pick something else up that's they didn't pick up the first time around i love it yeah thank you so much this has been wonderful and uh maybe we'll do it again soon that'd be awesome i look forward to it all right take care michael you too daniel thanks thanks for listening if you like the episode and would like to support the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review anywhere you listen. And if you'd like to connect with me directly, feel free to reach out on Instagram at drdaniel__atkins or on my website, drdanieladkins.com, where you can also subscribe to my newsletter to stay updated on all happenings. I'd love to hear from you. Until then, may you be the light, the frequency, and the vessel for your highest vision.